When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The choice of a lawyer is important and shouldn't be based on an ad. After a serious car accident, people have two questions. Why me and what now? Well, no one knows why you, but I'm Terry Crouppen, and my law firm, Brown & Crouppen, sure can help with the what now. Car repairs, medical bills, lost wages, pain and suffering. We're Brown & Crouppen, and we've got all those answers. All you have to do is call. 222-2222. Be a friend of the feather. Uh, EDF Group text inbox 314881-TMA5 is how you can text in. And next thing you know, oh, wow, I'm a friend of the feather. Mm. Why don't you text in today for the first time? You've probably thought about it. You know what? Let Jackson know what your name is. You're stored in that EDF Group text inbox. And then anytime something just percolates, you can share it with your friends here on the on the dais in the Michelob Ultra Studios. And uh, you want to support the sponsors. EDF Group is a sponsor of the program. And uh, here's how you can support EDF. Do you have a fire extinguisher where you work? The answer is yes. Mm. You certainly do. So please email the EDF Group at fire at the edfgroup.com so a technician can come out and explain to your team how the EDF Group can save your company money. Again, that email address is fire at the edfgroup.com. The EDF Group is hot and will prevent your facility from having hot fires. Experience the EDF Group difference. Learn more at the edfgroup.com. Doug, uh, I don't know how many people were watching Monday Night Football in the St. Louis area because you had Adam Wainwright, and uh, that certainly captured my attention. Um, and I would imagine others as well who maybe mm. normally haven't been watching the Cardinals as of late. We talked about that in the 7 o'clock hour presented by Munganas for those of you just joining us. But last night on Monday Night Football, one of the best running backs in the game was injured in what was a uh, really rough injury that'll end his season. That's Nick Chubb with the Cleveland Browns, mm. and it was so rough that ESPN chose not to show replays, but you can hear in the background uh, in Pittsburgh the fans' reaction when they showed it on the Jumbotron. Here's Joe Buck and Troy Aikman from ESPN's oh. Monday Night Football. Good things here in this game. 
Here's Chubb trying to pick his way inside the five, and he does. Knocked down at the three. Ball came out, but he was down. Minka Fitzpatrick gets the tackle, but a gain of five. And the last thing any Browns fan wants to see, Nick Chubb holding his left leg. Oh, boy. I am told that the replay of Nick Chubb getting injured is not to be seen. Yeah, it's we're not going to show it. It's uh, it's it's as bad as you can imagine. They just showed it on the big screen here in Pittsburgh and the crowd gasped. That's Joe Buck and Troy Aikman last night. Uh, ESPN chose not to show it uh, per awful announcing. Uh, ESPN receiving a great deal of credit for not showing the replay. Uh, this is the same knee that was reconstructed uh, for Chubb in 2015 when he was a member of the Georgia Bulldogs, yeah. the exact same one. Yeah, he is bad. done for the season. It's it's kind of a wonder something like that doesn't happen much more frequently than it does. For the way these guys hit each other, for as big and fast as they are, for some of the horribly-looking hits that they take, it's a wonder that someone's not carted off the field on almost every play. If you've ever been down there on field level and watched, like, a oh, kickoff return, yeah. Good Lord. I swear, when we would go down at the end of Rams games, which is is how that things worked. I don't know if that's still how it works in the NFL. With, I guess, it was two minutes or five minutes mm-hmm. left, they would let the media out there. I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know what the point of that was. <laughs> I, don't I would either. do it. But what stood out to me is how small of a space that is. I mean, 100 yards. It's, you know, it's such a short distance. And you have 22 huge, fast, best shape of their life athletes running around and colliding. Yeah, I agree. It Intentionally trying to right. inflict harm on the oh, other person. Crap. In a split second. Yeah. That was a weird one, though, because it was the helmet to the knee. He was kind of down a little bit trying to get, you know, toward the end zone. Most big injuries like legs, it's receivers that go up for or somebody's tackled by the he falls on it wrong. When your legs are kind of moving in that short of a distance, you kind of figure it's kind of hard to hit a helmet in your knee. It was that, his back. It wasn't his helmet. He didn't hit Mika Fitzpatrick's back. Oh, they said it was his knee on the, his helmet on the knee. Well, I'm looking at the picture right now. It looks to be his back. I'm just going by what I read. I didn't see the game. I just yeah. he took Look. a He took a knee to the, or a helmet to the knee. Luckily, uh, New York Post has the still shot of it on the front page of their website. Huh. I'm surprised they would do that. It's Yeah, I think it's nasty. No, it's a post. They don't care. It's really disgusting. Like, it's as bad as... A so somebody from behind him or somebody was turned backwards and... Minka Fitzpatrick kind of rolled up. Okay. And it's kind of his ass into his back region. That's, like, right into Chubb's knee, which is plant or foot, which is planted. Yeah. And his body goes off. one way, his knee stays there. He was going off, too. I think he had, like, 60 yards in the first quarter. And everyone loves Nick Chubb. Like, he is a, a well-liked across the board player it really sucks because yeah that's the same knee they injured yeah those running backs takes an unbelievable amount of punishment oh Oh, that's probably a career ender that's a year and a half whatever it is i mean that knee and a lot of those running backs are as good their rookie year as they're ever going to be because they haven't been hit two thousand times already that's the debate going on right now is draft a running back franchise tag them and then don't pay them because the shelf life is short yeah yeah, there, there's not many that are still running well at 30. Yeah, there's very few Adrian Petersons out there. Yeah. How old is Ezekiel Elliott? Because he's pretty much done. 
He's got to be 30-ish. He's 30, 31, I'm sure. He is 28. Yeah. Yeah. Just seems like he's been around a while because he's a running back. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts are welcome. 314-881-TMA5. Uh, Missouri tickets are uh, being slashed, Doug, to incentivize people to uh, to come in. They're doing a special right. $20 off lower bowl tickets if you're interested in attending the Tigers and the Tigers on Saturday night at the Dome. I would have thought there had been a real uptick after the win last Saturday. That, that well, there there was an uptick, but the gap between, you know, making it uh, substantial and, and where they started was so large that they had to do something. And so that is, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people who will be there at Compt and a lot of people who are going to be able to get tickets for less than uh, what the market was a week ago. Maybe Fight Tiger. Beat Tiger. Maybe they can give away one of those uh, neat T-shirts they had printed with every ticket purchase. You're going to want one of those too, aren't you? No. So they're giving away T-shirts. You said for a tickets purchase. Maybe they should give away that we kick Tiger's win's ask or something like that. I'm going to pull out my true son card here. Okay. People are really up in arms about something that every like every team does. Like colleges want to make money. Like so they've sell. Kansas State has done it before. They've done it twice, I think. And I posted that on Twitter because I didn't know. I was asking it on a question. And I did get responses about other teams doing it, screenshots and stuff. I just didn't know it existed. But I am so naive to that because my college I went to does not do that because we play like Youngstown State. and They took a drubbing by Lindenwood. Western? Yeah, Lindenwood was a good program. They got something building there. But, yeah, so I didn't know. So I, I put it on Twitter those, and I not know. I selling those things for I thought they are giving 20, 25 bucks. They're giving 25 bucks. I thought they were giving $25 of the purchase to charity. It's to the Tiger Scholarship Fund. Yeah. That's the charity. Which is their NIL fund, right? Or is that no, completely different. different? Okay. I thought I would just go right to the NIL. Well, either way, fight Tiger, beat Tiger, yes, go, go 4-0, go top 25, go to Vanderbilt, beat Commodore, Come home, beat Tiger again. Let's do it. And set the stage. You know, that uh, Red River shootout will most likely finish to feature two undefeated teams. Texas, top five. Oklahoma's currently 16th. They both should win their games that they have coming up. Uh, Texas, I believe, has Baylor and Rock Chalk. Doug, is that correct? I, I haven't looked at the schedule, Tim. And Oklahoma has two games that they should win as well. So if that's the case, that would mean... And listen, LSU's got to go to Oxford. Hottie Toddy, good God Almighty, is oh, that what you say? Yeah, I say that all the time. Jackson, what's the number on LSU and Hottie Toddy, good God Almighty, on a Saturday night in Oxford where I would imagine the tail will be on display? Mm. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Grove. Uh, I'm going to guess... Okay. <sighs> LSU three. I kinda. I would. I would say I'm gonna go two and a half, and I'm not doing that to undercut you. That's. I was. I was in the one and a half to two and a half range. LSU minus one and a half to two and a half. To pick them. Pick them, Doug. LSU by a half a point. Okay. Yep. Money line one ten. Gers still minus six and a half against the Gers. Seeing seven. Oh. Seeing seven. That's a crap slate of games that week too. It's a shame Oklahoma and Texas are playing. Or if Mizzou would win and LSU would win. Five and one, five and zero. Oh. The other element with it, there's starting to become some fear that it might get in an eleven o'clock. 
No. The 11 o'clock kickoff is actually the third in the order of picking for the networks. Number one, Doug, CBS at 2.30. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number two is 6 p.m. for ESPN. And then number three is the 11 a.m. kickoff. And you have Kentucky, Georgia that weekend, correct? I believe so. That would be week seven. So if they went Kentucky, Georgia at six... If you, want, if you don't want an 11 o'clock kickoff, you should be cheering for LSU this weekend. Right. Yeah, weeks. You need LSU top 10 and Missouri top 20. Yeah, Kentucky at, but is going between the hedges that week. Kentucky losing to Florida this weekend would be helpful. Oh, yes, yes it would. And then uh, Arkansas heads down to Oxford. You couldn't have a 2.30 on the SEC network? Uh, no, SEC networks are 3 o'clock games. And Missouri Vanderbilt uh, yesterday announces at the 3 o'clock game, which I could have done for you in February if you would have liked it. <laughs> I was looking to see, you talked about Oklahoma. Mizzou may have to play. They do play them next year, right? They yes. host uh, the Sooners. Yeah. And I see that the SEC is eliminating the divisions next year. That's correct. One big, giant league. That's correct. That's how it should be, too. I could have told you that in February as well. <laughs> These are two things that I could have tended to. I know. I'd, I'd forgotten about that. So this is it. This is the last year for the East versus the West. Yeah, I like the East versus the West. I like I, two divisions. Well, do you want us to get Gabe on and yell at him? I don't yeah. because, no offense, the SEC East is kind of weak, and it is nice, and I know you branch out and you play a well. I don't know what it is. You play one It's or produced two. the national champion the last two years. Sure, <clears throat> Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying top to bottom, like, I, I think it is nice that teams will just play everybody and not have to focus on that. Well, you won't be able I think to play I, everybody. that's how there's, sports there's, should be in general. There's too many teams to play everybody. You won't be able to play everybody. Well, I meant just your, your schedule going to switch in, in 2026. You'll play you know, Alabama and, you know, things like that. So I think that's fun. you got Texas and Oklahoma joining. That's just a short-term plan, right? Uh, I mean, at, at some point, they'll go back to... Pods or divisions or something, won't they? I think everything right now is short-term. Yeah. I really do, I'm, and I'm certainly not saying that flippantly. I just think that it's going to change so substantially by 2030, maybe even before that. Yeah. I, I, I actually agree with you. I like the divisions. Right, I do. Yeah. I like playing the same team, know who you're going to play, build some rivalries but with I think in professional, the Kentuckys and the Tennessees. And in professional like sports, it eliminates the best teams playing the best teams in the playoffs. And it really does. Well, when, for, I don't know what it was for you when you were growing up, Doug, and I'm talking about like when we were, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, because uh, we had the different eras of baseball than like the Plowhawk and Jackson have had. They know nothing about the fact that the Cardinals were in the, I mean, you might know about it, but you didn't experience the Cardinals being the NL East. When the Cardinals won a division, when I was growing up in 82, 85, 87, it was a huge deal. Yeah. Winning a division now, it's, you know, they won a division last year. If they, if this were, for example, 1986, the year after they won the, the NL East in 85, or 1988, the year after they won the division in 1987, that would hold a lot of equity with the fan base because you were one of the final four teams. Well, here we are, less than a year removed from them winning the division, and it doesn't carry much weight. I think a lot of people probably have forgotten about the fact that they were division winners in 2022. Maybe you remember more about Pujols' 700 home runs because... They didn't do anything in October. And so what I think that does is I think it waters down the regular season and it diminishes the importance of six months of playing, you know, six out of seven days. Personally, I don't like it, but of course I don't like it and it's bad business for me not to like it if I were an investor in baseball because 
it it would take away top line revenue for them to uh, to remove playoff games. But I would prefer that if you have a great regular season, you are rewarded and you are essentially a step away from the World Series. The other side of that is, you know, hell, ninety plus percent of the teams would be eliminated by September first. Yeah, so uh, you're not just losing playoff revenue, but regular season exactly. revenue. Exactly. From- so that, that's the thing. I mean, you look at the National League wild card standings, and I happen to be watching Scott Van Pelt this morning, and since the Browns, the, the replay of Scott Van Pelt, and the Browns and Steelers were still going on, so he was, like, forced to talk about baseball so, because that game was airing at the same time. And uh, and I, if, you would have, if you could have said, I'll give you $100 if you could name the top three teams in the National League wild card, I couldn't have done it. But I believe it's the Phillies Cubs and Diamondbacks? Hell, I still don't know. Marlins are in there, too. Well, I mean, there's six teams in there. There's only a handful, not Cardinals or Mm -hmm. one of them. Padres, which is the, from my standpoint, story of the upcoming offseason because they're going to do something in San Diego with the management. Um, But, uh, you know, it's like, okay, you've lingered around 500, and now you have a chance to win the World Series. And I just, from a competition integrity standpoint, I don't like it. I understand why it's there. I know it won't change, but I just don't like it because you can have a great regular season and then, you know, anybody who kind of lingered around 500 can get in and, and just get hot and win this baby. I don't like it. That's what I have to say. And right. I think guys with nipple rings are cute. I don't know. I didn't have I anything. Could, I, I had a throwaway to, line, but I liked it. Before 1969, there was only, you know, one league. If you won the pennant, that was you were in the World Series. See, I think, I think baseball should be the top eight. NL teams, top eight AL teams, and that's that. That's why I think the divisions are like when the Cardinals win that crap ass division, it's like, oh. oh, hey, we're good. But it's like, no, you're faux good because they're teams that finished third in one division that are better than you, but just so happens they're in a tougher division. The bet, like in sports, especially paying sports, like, I mean, we pay these players, they, we should have the best teams in the playoffs. Well, it shouldn't how be the best team from the, the AL Well, you had the five versus well, six in the National League last year. I mean, the best teams are always in. Well, they're in the playoffs, but they're not in the NLCS. Oh, well, no. No. And that's, what, that's, what I, that's what I personally don't like. That, that can happen in other, other sports. It, too, it happens in hockey yeah. all the time. It was very rare this year for it to happen in the NBA. That was a, that was yeah. a monster outlier. But it happens in hockey all the time. I mean, I feel like. And there's times in football. You see, you've seen eight seed. I remember Pronger's Oilers team was an eight seed. The team that the Blues lost to, I think it was 2012 Kings, an eight seed. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's just the way that it, it winds up working out in hockey. But uh, you, they're also playing half the number of games. NBA, 82-game season, and rarely do you have, you know, some random slip through. So, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm bitching about something that's not going to change, yeah. and then nor do I think there's a solution for it per se, but... Because, again, it would strip revenue. So I understand them not wanting to do it, but it, that's why I just I don't think I'm as into regular season baseball because it's kind of like, okay, it's now like the playoffs when I was growing up in the NHL. Four out of the five teams in the Norris division were going, and mm-hmm. you could be below 500 and you know get to the Campbell Conference Finals. Well, that's why the Yankees have so many World Series titles. I mean, they're like, what, 16 ahead of the Cardinals because back in those 20s, 30s, 40s, the Yankees had a team nobody could beat. And if you win your division, you go straight to the World Series. No, there wasn't a division. It was just an American League. Yeah, an American League and a National League. So if you won won an American League, you won, yeah. Uh, And in the 20s and early 30s, when they had Gehrig and 
Babe Ruth. I mean, they were winning every year, so they got 27 to the Cardinals, won 11. Yeah. You wouldn't have that now. It's kind of spread out. I mean, I can't remember the last team that won back-to-back World Series. Reds? Mm-hmm. 70s? Yankees? Probably the Yankees. I don't think they won back-to-back with Torrey. Did they win three in a row? What are we talking? What was the question? I'll answer it. Last the major last league team, team to win back-to-back, back-to-back World, World Series. Series. Last National League team? Any team. No, just oh, the last team. team to win back-to-back. I assume it was the 98-99 Yankees. Am I right? Did the Phillies not do it in that mid-2000s? No, they lost to the Rays, and they uh, no, they beat the Rays, and they lost to the Yankees the following year. Okay. I, don't know. I know they got back-to-backers in there. The Yankees Giants won three out of five. Right, oh, but it was yeah, all even years. 10, 12, 14. Yeah, it's tough in baseball to do that crap back to back. Cardinals were legitimately, I mean, you go to four straight NLCSs, and then the fifth year was a 100-win season, and they win one World Series. A lot of people, in the, I don't say a lot of people, multiple people in the Cardinal organization feel like um, they left one out there and a different manager they would have been able to capitalize on 12, 13, 14, 15. Fair yeah, or unfair. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Uh, speaking of the Cardinals, Jeff Passan has given his year-end awards with right. two weeks left. Yeah, what did we get? Uh, biggest disappointment in baseball. With all due respect to the Mets and Padres, no team cratered this season quite like the St. Louis Cardinals. They have made the postseason nine of the past dozen years and won the NL Central last season. They are the Yankees of the NL in their consistency. They haven't had a losing season since 2007. They haven't finished... In last place since 1990, it's 66 and 83 this year. The former is guaranteed, and the latter is likely. The Cardinals' problems are manifold. Do you like that term, manifold? No, I don't. I don't. But what other word would you use there? It, it has to be manifold. I think. Was it? What's he trying to say? The Cardinals' problems are are, they, are deep. The or? Cardinals have multiple problems. Okay, he could have said the Cardinal problems are are many. What about many? I don't like manifold. Or they have multiple problems. Hmm. Melly's a wordsmith. Okay, smell, Smitty. Early season issues in the clubhouse, faltering in high leverage situations at the plate, positional redundancy. But the real issue is the pitching. And the following is about as damning an indictment of this current team as there can be. Since the beginning of the modern era in 1901, only one Cardinal team has a worse ERA than the 2023 version, 4.80. There you go. Yeah, at Not a time either. when it's harder and harder to hit, right. where almost nobody hits 300 anymore. They've given up more runs than they have in more than 100 years. That's right. Yeah. It's not good. It's manifold. Are you up to 40 blown saves yet? And, and based on all of that, how do you say, yeah, we like this managerial, <laughs> managerial group? That's how they start how the offseason is they solidify Ollie as coming back for another year. I mean, it's pretty stunning when you think what Mike Schilt did and even Matheny, love him or hate him, he still won some to, to produce the worst team that we've seen in 
decades and decades and to say, yeah, I like I like where we're going. I like this guy. I mean, obviously, Fowler's established. <laughs> and he likes this That guy uh, is in charge of our club. I that, guess, that's the reason why <laughs> this team sucks. I guess he likes the rotation because he said, uh, I don't know, Cam Walks or whatever he said, asked about pitching next year. How many pitchers do you think you're going to need? Do you need three? He goes, oh, yeah, we'll need three because we need depth. No, you need three to go in the rotation. No. You don't need depth. Yeah. Yeah. You got, well, enough, you got enough crap depth. Well, depth. I, the I, bullpen suddenly looks pretty good over the last month. Promising, anyway. Yippee. I mean, when, <laughs> when Helsey's healthy, he's darn near unhittable. Looks like they found somebody in Libertor who can give you a good inning. I, I, John King looks like he's okay. Romero looks pretty good. Maybe, maybe the bullpen's not as far away as we thought it was earlier. The starting pitching obviously needs a lot of work. Well, we found out this year, at least, you know, we're last, but we found out Carlson is not an everyday player. Tyler O'Neill is not an everyday player. So you need to find what your outfield is going to look like because finally I think we need to cut bait on both of those almost immediately. You, you hung around with DeYoung for far too long. You cannot possibly think Carlson O'Neill is going to give you any production. So you got Newton Walker, and then you figure it out from there. But you got some offense that you need to tend to as well. Who's that guy that brought up uh, for O'Neill the other night? Palacios. Palacio <laughs> Yeah, somebody Palacio. I'd never name. I'd never he's, heard he's of. A 30, Quartero, he's a thirty-year-old minor leaguer who's had four games in the major yeah. leagues, and somehow the Cardinals signed him. Well, Analytics say screw it. <laughs> you know, Mozilla get to keep his job for eternity. So why would you try? Sometimes, if you've had a guy in the minor leagues for years that everybody likes, you reward him by putting him up in the major leagues the last couple weeks of the season. Well, he well, he signed in the offseason. He wasn't even in the Cardinal organization. Oh, he was in the minors, wasn't he? Look, yeah, Tyler Motter got yeah, 80 year, at bats for this. But I, again, he's been around in the minors probably for 10, 12 years. <laughs> yeah, he's so 30. that's what. Sometimes they reward a guy like that. Why just sign him in the first place we'll it, for well, what? Because originally they thought he was going to be a player. He hasn't. He's never been a player. Well, but they thought he he must be decent, or they wouldn't have kept signing him, and he wouldn't still be there for 10 or 12 years. Well, he kept it. getting released, and the Cardinals signed him. So. You let Mozeliak control anyway, this club, it's over. It's he's a, over. He's the guy you bring up and you put him in the starting rotate. Put him in the starting. Doug, I'm going to restate. We'll talk more. Plaza Facio. I don't know what his name is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wedding, <laughs> wedding tackle has requested that name. He wants to change his name to Plaza Facio. <laughs> I don't know what I said. I thought it was a Q something. <laughs> Doug, uh, this is my, I do a campaign stop. I tour around St. Louis and I say this over and over again. There is no other market in these United States of America and also our friends to the north, America's hat in Canada with those Blue Jays that could have a season with the expectations this one had and have the failures this one had and make absolutely no changes in either the front office or in the dugout. But here in St. Louis... That's what we have. Yeah. And it's unacceptable. And every time the uh, vote of confidence to Marmol makes no sense to you, you just have to keep reminding yourself he's not the one calling the shots. Yes. Yeah, if I were making changes, it wouldn't necessarily be with Marmol, but I would make changes because the same group that has had this team in 2023 as poorly prepared as it was from a roster standpoint is the same one being entrusted to rebuild it. And, it's so. I mean, offensively, you have questions. I think Plowhawk, you just made reference to that because the outfield, we were talking, I think maybe this was before the show, we were talking about Edmund. You still need to have some punch in the outfield, even if yeah. he isn't in, in center. Uh, but uh, 
but the starting staff is so far away. And with the Red Sox and Yankees having the kind of season they've had, and the Yankees got hot recently, but uh, both of them will be doing what they've done over the last quarter century. And now with Julio Urias being taken out of the mix as far as a free agent star pitcher, you've lowered the supply, the demand is higher, and the Cardinals might get into a spot where they're either not going to be able to do it or get in a spot where they go overpaying again. And, you know, it's not like Aaron Nola is having a Cy Young season. So, I don't know. I just... I, the, the, my my whole thing about the Goldschmidt thing is is rooted in, you know, the you know if he would have left and maybe he had zero interest in leaving and would have said no trade. So I don't know on that, but I just wish they would have been more aggressive because I do not think that they are close to contention. I mean, if you can go out and get three starters who are A starters or two A's and a B, then sure. But Miles Michaelis isn't exactly like, okay, we've got him in as our ace, now let's solidify it. You don't have, I mean, yeah. Stephen Matz was a punchline, then he gets hot in July and August and hurt, and then it's like, okay, now we can put Matz in there. It's, Isn't it it's really? It's so far away from a pitching standpoint, and it's not like the offense is rock solid, and Paul Goldschmidt is not a young man anymore. And uh, I don't know. I just don't see it. But like I said, I hope it can be one of the many things I've been wrong about. Is there any possible scenario going into the season? It's Michaelis, Matz, Rom. Thompson, and then maybe they just sign one starter. I mean, is that like seriously? I would, I would say that the one that would be thing crazy. That if there's one thing that I would happily, and I've wagered and been wrong against you, Plowhawk, on 10 to 1 odds, too, uh, I would bet heavily that they are going to trade a package of, uh, or at least one position player, and I would imagine they'll have to be packaged to get us a starter. That's, oh, yeah, I think they'll be trade-happy. Because they're not going to be able to afford a whole bunch of free agent pitchers. When you have Nola and Snell as, like, the A guys. And it was Julio Urias, but he's out now. So, yeah. okay. So I just wonder why those guys would come here. Um, what are you trying to say? Have you ridden well, the boss? Well, it doesn't look like it's a contender. <laughs> and the Cardinals aren't likely to throw the most money, although they did throw the most money at Contreras. And but they're not likely to throw the most money at a couple of pitchers. And if we're throwing Edmund in the outfield, I was all about Mason Wynn, too, but... I think we may need to figure out, is Mason Wynn maybe a year or two away? He looks pretty god-awful, you know, I mean, for the most part, he yeah. is, but he's young. It's, you know, first time in the bigs. They don't always hit it out of the park like Walker and some of the players we've seen. But is he going to be the everyday guy next year, penciled in, if Edmund goes to the outfield? I'd be shocked with I that. I would think he is, yeah. I mean, he's hitting 222. Uh, what's the outfield next year? Probably a Newt Bar and Walker and someone we don't know. Be my guess. Palacios? All right, then where's Tommy Edmond? Probably as your uh, super, super sub playing all over the field, I would think. Or shortstop with win. I'm just not sure Edmond hits enough to be an everyday outfielder. So you think they're going to add a, a, a center fielder? Well, unless Newt Bar plays center. I think they'll add an outfielder. And, and at least two pitchers? Yeah, I would think. Busy offseason. Uh, yeah, I, it better be. And Moselock gets to sign off on all these. I'm really excited to see what he got in store. There can't be. He is the worst. Oh, God. Oh, and no. teams oh, will oh, figure oh. out ways to get rid of their GM. And all, like, it, it, it's happened before to where if you don't perform and you kind of, you know, do the same offseason each and every year and the same condescending little remarks talking down to the fans. Mm. And then, you know, it, it, the season happens exactly how the fans 
who he criticizes happen. I mean, it's just hilarious. Plowsy 2024 with all the pitching they need, not only just starting pitching, but relievers. I think 2024 is going to be the year of the low-hanging fruit. I, I literally think this is going to be a there weird will be a, There will be a revolt if that happens. I'm not saying it would, that won't happen, per se. I'm just saying they have, they have, they've unnecessarily backed themselves into a corner, and then it can position themselves to compound what is already a mess by overpaying that can then impact you down the road. Yeah. And you ca- you got to look when you look at, you know, this is any business, but baseball is one that most people listening to this show follow closely. And you don't have to have some kind of MBA uh, to, to follow it. If you have a declining asset on your books down the road, you've got a problem because it impacts your team both in the short term and then the latitude with which your operation can can try to bring in talent because you got problematic uh declining assets on your books and that's what the cardinals could be staring at in 2026 if you're sitting there going oh god we've got wilson Contreras, who's a dh at 36 years old uh i guess 35 at that point and take your pick and aaron Noel at that point would be in the 35 range not to say that he's going to come here but just to give you an example and it's not like he had a great year it's a it's a tough spot and i just i don't think there's anything wrong with turning the page you know, the Cardinals haven't done that. And by turning the page, I mean regrouping. They're just in a weird spot because you have two potential Hall of Famers, or likely Hall of Famers, at your corner spots. But that's why what they did last year was just so strange in the offseason. I just don't know how you go into the season and go, yeah, this is, a, this, is a, this is a National League pennant contending rotation. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that's not reverse engineering. That's not results-oriented. That's not going, well, if this guy would have stayed healthy, who, who was it? Was no. it, what was it, I mean, let's go back and, and play it out. Was it Michaelis, Flaherty, Montgomery? That That's that's what, I mean, that... Thought Wainwright might be the same pitcher he was last year. Uh, no, I, under, I understand that, but I mean, even even with that, it's still not, it's not even remotely in the same range of what it usually no. is going to take. I mean, they, certainly outliers can happen, and the two world championships they won were kind of outliers relative to some great years in 2004 <clears throat> and 09 and 15. But uh, They just kept know. looking at Flaherty thinking, this guy's just, got to be a big-time pitcher. I just don't understand that. And the writing was on the wall in the offseason when your best pitcher the second half of the year wasn't even given an offer. Now, granted, he got hurt at the beginning of the year, but you didn't know that, but... Quintana was your best pitcher the second half. I mean, they didn't even offer me anything. Yeah. I'm trying Goldschmidt for sure this offseason or the beginning of next season. But I think, I think they, met the opportu- they met the opportunity. I do believe they could have got a nice haul, you know, when they're one. Yeah, but I mean, we got to keep, I mean, because I'm big on that Goldschmidt thing. But if, if he, he doesn't want to be traded, we, the Cardinals just, they're, they're boxed in. And I don't know what the answer to that is. I imagine they're going to have to trade some people that hurts to trade. You have they, to. You, you have, have to, to trade a Nolan Gorman. Nolan, if you trade Nolan Gorman, you could get something. Significant in return, and you got Brendan Donovan to play second base. You can package a Gorman and a Carlson and get yourself a nice starting pitcher. I would think so. Because if you can't, then don't. Yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not, you can't give these guys away. But if, if there's an offer, you can't refuse. You just gotta. Can think guys get drafted every year? I don't think we realize the prospects. Yeah. I mean, those lists just generate every six months. They change completely. So, I mean, you're gonna get a top five pick after this year. So you're going to replenish a position in some form or fashion. Well, Gorman is a guy a lot of teams would love to have. A potential, Jimmy, you know, he's going to hit 30, 35, maybe more than that home runs. 
And he's so young, he doesn't make a ton of money yet. So there's a lot of teams that would love to have Nolan Gorman that would probably part with a a top pitching prospect. Uh, meanwhile, great article this morning uh, from Ken Rosenthal and Dennis Lynn on The Athletic about the San Diego Padres, Ken Rosenthal and Dennis Lynn, whereas Jeff Passan calls the Cardinals the biggest disappointment in baseball. Manifold. Uh, manifold, as a matter of mm-hmm. fact. I would actually say I think the San Diego Padres are worse than the Cardinals as far as a disappointment goes, and I don't really know. I'd actually say it's kind of obvious, um, and you know there's going to be some changes there. Um, A.J. Preller, who oftentimes get praised, gets praised, and the aggression that the Padres showed. And I think part of that was they're going, okay, the Chargers are in Los Angeles now. This is our real chance. But, my God, when you look at who they have on their roster and how much they're going to cost and how much they've already cost – uh, I mean, they, they went all in, and, and I'm sure the fans loved it in the moment, but this year has been an absolute disaster. They talk about the fact that the relationship between Preller and Bob Melvin, who's in his second year as manager with the Padres, is untenable. Um, they moved all of their prospects for Blake Snell, Yu Darvish, Joe Musgrove, and Juan Soto, and, uh, and now they're in a spot where they probably can't afford to keep the vast majority of them, and they also will have some money on the books that puts them in a spot where it's going to be difficult to compete. And so they had the third highest payroll, and they are one of a handful of teams that when September rolled around knew they weren't going to the postseason. One player called the season, quote, an institutional failure. Multiple members of the team spoke on uh, of a persistent atmosphere of pessimism as the Padres watched their season slip away. And while numerous players downplayed or rejected rumors of a dysfunctional clubhouse, the overall environment around the team garnered less positive reviews. It is the most toxic, uh, one former staffer said. A repeated inability to live up to expectations only exacerbated divisions within the franchise. Padres opened up the season with a quarter-billion-dollar payroll, a franchise record and the third-highest in the majors, coming off a run to the NLCS, their first since 1998. But almost from the beginning, the season unfolded like a nightmare. Um, and uh, this year, of course, we were just talking about the free agent pitchers. Blake Snell is right up there at the top of the list, and he's been killing it for the Padres over mm-hmm. the last four months. Uh, so there's a good chance he will not be back. I'll tell you who's actually going to be worth the $400 million contract, and it could be Juan Soto. He's a generational talent. I can't wait to see where he goes. I don't think the Padres can keep him, especially I looking at really how you don't make the playoffs with him. Or struggling to make the playoffs with him. I think you cut bait. But that dude's worth the money. We should have traded for him. We should have traded Carlson Gorman in a package for him. Going to be another one of the long list of many that we may have regretted. No guarantee he would have signed here long term after this year. But we could have had him for a full year. And I think maybe things have been different. There's a uh, Mike Schilt Schilt reference Mm. in this article. um, Talking about the... Staff and the situation in San Diego, it's hard to be in a situation where you really want to celebrate with people and win with people who you know when you're not doing well or constantly jumping off the boat. They're blaming you for the leak in the raft. I think A.J. Preller is not great at recognizing the culture cost of him putting his finger on the thumb of the coaching staff, a former team executive said. Uh, Meanwhile, Tricker is not the only Preller hire whose presence continues to arouse suspicion among staffers. Earlier this summer, former Marlins executive Bill Douglas, do you say Mossy or do you say Moss? I've always said Mossy. Joined the organization as a baseball operations advisor and has become a regular presence during batting practice and inside the batting cages at Petco Park. 
even though the Padres already had three hitting coaches. <laughs> Former Cardinals manager Mike Schilt, now a Padres senior advisor for player development in the major leagues, has been in uniform with the team for most of the season. An unusual situation for an advisor. Preller, for his part, says he values a variety of perspectives, but such arrangements, some inside the clubhouse say, still lead to uncertainty and unease. Quote, in some senses here, I feel that the finger gets pointed at the next guy, one player said. Instead of, you're the head of the organization, you need to take the reins of this, implement some sort of structure. Added one ex-staffer, it's probably more of a case study in management. And nowhere is that more evident than in his relationship with Bob Melvin. Uh, Melvin is 61. Uh, Doug, he's known as Bo Mel. You like that? I don't mind it. Really? I don't mind it. Make you think of bow weevils at all? A little bit. Yeah. The old bow weevil eating our cotton. You know. <laughs> this is his 20th season as a major league manager, his second as the Padres, uh, and he and Preller are not hitting it off. The Padres' crumbled season. The differences between Preller and Melvin created a major disconnect. The rift between the two became one of the worst-kept secrets in baseball. Melvin declined to comment. For this story, Preller said, I have a lot of respect for Bob. You know, you're never going to agree on everything. You never have that with anyone in baseball operations. That's healthy. I think there's a healthy amount of debate. Uh, several people interviewed for the story described the circumstances with Preller uh, and told the players one thing and Melvin told them another. One player, while careful not to absolve himself and his teammates of blame, likened the situation to a toxic relationship between parents in which the kids suffer. Mm. If nobody's on the same page and you're getting two stories from two different people, there is no trust there. The players are going to feel like, well, who can I confide in? Who can I talk to? More uh, from the athletic and Ken Rosenthal and the Padres situation because that's something that that I would imagine you're going to you want to talk about changes. The Padres will be the absolute opposite of the Cardinals this off season. I think you're going to see. I mean, at the very least, I would imagine Melvin or Preller will be moving on. I can imagine if you're a guy like Bob Melvin who played in the major leagues, been a manager for a while, and then he's got some young hotshot analytic guy standing around the batting cage telling guys what to do. I could see where that wouldn't go over well at all. Can you imagine Whitey Herzog dealing with people like that? <laughs> imagine Whitey trying to deal with Mo. Oh my yeah. God! I, I I would literally love. To, I would pay to see that fist fight. Mm-hmm. Guys, here's my hot take prediction: Jack Flaherty signs a one-year prove-it deal with the Cardinals for 2024. No, I don't think so. Oh, there's no way. You can no, I don't think so. Path. I could actually see the Cardinals bringing in uh, Montgomery again. Are you sure? Yeah, I'd love to have him back. Oh, yeah. That's low enough. Oh. The hanging fruit. Please, for the love of God, just stop it. The Mo critics are okay, but condemning him as the worst GM is ridiculous. Stop it, Plowhawk! That's from the Millennial. Gosh. He's really a bad, he's bad at his job. He may not be the worst. I don't know what the rundown is for all these organizations that, like, I just know what signs, what signings he's done and what players he's traded away for nothing and seasons he's squandered for retirement <laughs> and playoffs he's had, you know, graduation assistant players who never play just on the roster just for rah-rah fun, getting a squirrel out of their pocket. Squirrel I've pocket. seen all this nonsense, and Moselock is not a – he's not great at his job. He got Juniel Quiracuto. That's the guy Iggy was trying to say the other day. There's nothing you can say that has that I can be behind John Mozeliak. I think he's set this How about franchise this is the first back losing... several years, and I don't know why people can't see that. First but... losing record since 07. He's been in charge. Sweet. We play in a terrible division, and we <laughs> well... backdoor our way to a wild card sweep. Sweet. Great season. Chalk it up as another win for Mo. The National League Central hasn't uh, always been this bad in his tenure, though. That has to be. That's true. So... I mean, even the... 
he's had, he some, he's had some fantastic ago. years. <laughs> well, and like I mean, everybody in, else, he's had a couple of bad ones. In 15, you had three teams that were, I think, 97, 98, and 100 win teams. And, and, and listen, I understand it's a terrible division now. I'm just for the purpose of mm-hmm. his run going back to 15 years ago. The division hasn't been this garbage, but it is garbage now. Yeah. And I do think that the plan going in this year, it had to have been, was, well, we've got a bunch of money on the books, and I think this pitching staff will be good enough to get us into the playoffs, and we'll you know, take our chances, and, and we'll try to shore up the pitching staff at the trade deadline. And it got so out of hand early on that it didn't matter. You probably answered my question with the staying the money on the books. If for some reason, somehow they would do this, they won't because it would be too expensive for them. But would you be happy, as far as starting rotation, you know, they can do with the what with the bullpen. If they went out and signed Montgomery and Snell, would you be happy with that? Would that be enough? Montgomery and Snell, and that is what the Cardinals are doing for the offseason? Yeah. That yeah, that'd be great. Okay. I'd be happy with that. Instead yeah, of yeah. signing three yeah. or four, four. Two guys or at fifth. the top of the rotation. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because then you got Montgomery, Snell, Michaelis, and you know, you, at that point, you feel like, okay, if, if you do get something from Steven Matz in the two-month resuscitation, you got, I mean, that's just a totally different world. That is going to be a serious allocation of dollars. You probably won't be getting the outfielder you were talking about if they go out and sign two free agents of that caliber. I mean, that yeah. Snell is, um, I don't know who's, I would imagine Snell is considered the premier pitcher this offseason now with Urias out of the mix. Probably. Well, if you if you keep Gorman, you can have uh, Donovan your left fielder, Gorman your second baseman. But look, Edmund goes. Yeah, Edmund would be trade bait. I think. I think it'd be nice just to get Montgomery, Soto, and trade for another pitcher. So I'm not saying to get high tier. I think the value should be going to an outfielder. What do you think Walker it would cost will, you to get Soto? I think Walker will eventually transition to a third or first baseman. Am I not correct? Once Arenado Probably and Goldschmidt. Yeah. So you're you're looking at at least, and we don't know, Newt Barth never played a full season. So we don't really have a outfielder, for sure outfielder, you'll pencil him for the next five to eight years. I don't know that's difficult. There's not a lot of teams that have that. Nonetheless, I think Walker's not an everyday outfielder. I think we've seen what? some blunder. You think he's not an everyday I'm outfielder? Say, I, I think when, he's going to be an everyday first or third baseman once the position's open next year with Arenado and Goldschmidt. He's improved uh, defensively. He has, but I just don't think that's his long term. I think if you get I would, Soto, I would agree. I would agree with it long term. I'd be surprised if he's playing in the outfield in five years. Uh, good observation here. And I was thinking that as I was saying it, but then I couldn't think. But if you have Montgomery and Snell, that means you have four left-handers and one right-hander in the rotation. This ain't going to happen. Uh, I don't know on the don't four left. That. I don't know on the Just four Just give me the best guys you can get. I don't care. The, the, the bigger thing with Snell is he's, he's a big strikeout pitcher, but because he, he runs into a lot of games where he doesn't go deep and he'll have, you know, he strikes a bunch of guys out, but he'll also walk a bunch of guys and he doesn't go deep into games. And if that's something that the Cardinals are, though, trying to get a bunch of strikeout guys. They had pitch to contact guys. Now they're trying to go to strikeout guys. Anyway, got a break. Uh, it's uh, 921. We'll come back. We have the design air heating and cooling email of the day. This is the Ryan Kelly morning after from the Global Interest